Welcome to the Crime of the Century podcast, where we expose higher education as a scam that it is. I'm Kevin Prendeville, and I believe that because of what we're teaching our students, we're losing an entire generation. Today, as always, we'll be diving headfirst into controversial subjects undaunted by political correctness. Uh, today, we're going to continue the series that will lead us to the philosophical background that drives our professorship today. You'll recall in episode 67, we discussed the Industrial Revolution and an emerging America. And this all started with Podcast 61, so if you haven't or are just jumping in now, uh, you're going to want to go back and revisit that episode as well. But as for today, we're going to dive deeper into the fallout from World War I and why it matters today. So at the conclusion of today's show, uh, you'll be able to identify and define what a lost generation is and parallel that today, because the best solutions to a problem always come when the problem is identified. This will then help us avoid the pitfalls and become a more well-rounded person and eventually decipher the background for the crime of the century. So we're going to take a look today at uh, what is known as interwar France. This is between uh, World War One and II or the end of World War One. Last podcast, we went over uh, World War I itself and kind of the beginnings and the academic philosophies during that conflict. But the takeaway here is that we're going to identify the characteristics and really define what a lost generation is. So there is a, I think, uh, a sound historical argument that can be made that says that that France really was the true loser in World War I. Not because they, uh, not, not anything to do with the Versailles Treaty, but the fact that their manpower losses were completely disproportionate to the rest of the great powers. The fact that if French farmland was used pretty much as the entirety of the uh, battlefield for World War I. The, German line extended pretty much entirely into France, and due to the uh, stalemates in that that characterized World War One, you know the famous trenches and no man's land that that was all French farmland, and it had just it had turned what was you know lush forests and uh, you know arable land into kind of hellish landscapes for uh, years, and. This, for as much as the French could say that they won, it really hurt their culture. And that's, that can be seen in, um, really in their loss of natural, national pride that French art stopped venerating culture and French victories and stopped venerating the French state and really began to critique both the war and uh, the the conduct of, of the nation itself. That the war had become unpopular because it was seen as, um, you know, something that, that was started for political, political purposes that had been lost over time. That, that the French really didn't have a dog in the fight, but they got involved anyways, and it caused 
horrible suffering pretty much to every single family in France one way or another. Uh, there's a famous slogan during World War II among the French people uh, called Why Die for Danzing, which basically meant that the French really shouldn't be fighting at all. That um, Again, it was another situation that happened uh, in some other part of Europe that France shouldn't be involved in. Now that's a, another topic for another day, but it goes back to the idea that there was a, a thread, a, a tangible thread of pacifism that had come across the French nation. And in addition to the fact that the war, World War I in this case, was not only unpopular for the mass death that it caused among, amongst the French, but the economic loss as well. Obviously the damaged farmland uh, was pretty much not useful for another decade, but in addition to that, the, the economic toll that it took on the nation was astounding. You had, um, you know, you had to either replace the military or refund, uh, you know, those who had perished. You had now more territory that was granted under the Versailles Treaty that had to be regulated and uh, indigenous groups that had to be dealt with. Uh, especially in places like Africa and, and somewhat in Asia. So you had more territory than ever and a weaker military, military base to, to do that with. And now you've got the uh, socialists in France that are, that are rising up and the communists in France that are empowered by the communist victory in what was Russia and now the Soviet Union. This leads to a France that is torn between itself and also uh, very weak by the mid to late 20s. A lot weaker than they were uh, obviously prior to World War I, but even though border-wise and territory-wise they were stronger after the Versailles Treaty, their military base, their economic base, their cultural base, and all other factors, they were much weaker. And this brings us to our first characteristic of uh, a lost generation, or at least the grounds for which a lost generation is created, and that is growing up or taking part in an unpopular war. That the parallel in French history specifically is the French and Indian War. We talked about this when we talked about uh, the French Revolution a couple podcasts ago, I think it was 64, 65, where the French defeat in the New World and subsequent loss of their colonies, again, it killed their tax base, it killed their economic ability to recuperate their losses, and, you know, they lost uh, good men overseas. And this would eventually, as it played out, would lead to the French Revolution in Europe. And the economic issues cannot be understated here. But the next characteristic of a lost generation is that the art begins to cannibalize the culture, that the art looks at its own culture and sees all of the faults but can't assume that the 
rest of the world isn't burning too. That the rest of Europe at this point is still dealing with the fallout from World War One, but the French art really dealt with the fact that they felt, the French people felt that they had, or at least the French elites felt that, you know, they were also somewhat to blame for the destruction. And so you have this experimentation with surrealism and different ways of, of, of expression, but it all comes down to the fact that they believed that essentially morality was dead, that this war was humanity as a whole's fault, that, you know, they were, they as French men were no better than anybody else. And that does not help the situation when, when either young adults are growing up or people who had served in the conflict are growing up and now these artful elites are, are who speak for the culture really and, and that is the purpose of art is for a culture of people to speak throughout the generations. They were speaking that, that they were no better, that the reason surrealism was so popular is that it was it was tainted by this this nihilism that that there was no point and that essentially all these men had died for nothing and that everyone was going to die for nothing and that that there was no reality hence the surreality the almost the usurping of reality so the next characteristic of a lost generation is the fact that the art begins to cannibalize the culture and third, the rise in the radical left. And I don't want to blame, I don't want it, I don't want it to seem like I'm blaming everything on the left. I don't want it to seem that here I'm saying that, you know, this horrible thing that happened to the French nation, you know, we're just going to lay it on the feet of the left. But I do want to make it clear that the radical right is not Nazis. The radical right is anarchism. And that was certainly present in France at this time. But what was much more pronounced was the coalition of the socialists and communists in France. And the reason that when a lost generation is felt, is, is, is bred, the reason the radical left gains much more power and credibility in the society is because the radical left promises globalism over nationalism. So you have this generation of people that already believe that their nation is no better than any other. They already believe that they are somehow the cause of the ills, the greater ills of society. And they believe through a global perspective that if they got rid of the nation state, it would cure those ills. So the second thing the, the radical left promises, and this is kind of across the board with many of the uh, leftist policies throughout the 20th century, is that they promise peace at any cost, that 
they would not be the first one to to attack. But obviously they have their ideals. Obviously the Soviet Union was very anti-capitalistic and all that stuff. But one thing that can't be forgotten is the fact that they promised to end all of the wars that the monarchies and the old orders had caused, quote unquote. And so you have this lost generation that already is mad at themselves or their forefathers for, for starting something that they believe was unjustified or shouldn't have happened. And as a result, they identify with the radical left that says that, that you're right, they were, they were part of some sort of overarching power structure that we need to dismantle. And if we're going to achieve lasting peace, and if we're going to, if we're going to stop all of the conflicts of the old order, we need to get rid of it essentially in this country and, dis and dismantle the country, replace it with globalism. So when a lost generation is bred, the last characteristic you can always identify is the rise of the radical left. Now, one of the effects is that this generation feels angry, dejected, defeated. Now, of course, there are individuals within a generation. I'm not saying that it speaks for everybody within this age group or this time period. Obviously there are people who, who rise above that. But it's a general feeling among the culture and the society. And to believe that your own country is, is the reason there are so many ills in society is something that it's such an inverted nationalism it, it, that it's almost a self-defeating prophecy that, that the nation will begin to eat itself away because there are people who, doesn't, who don't believe it exists and they're all within the, the borders. The lack of historical education that always seems to follow with the lost generation is also pronounced. You had, at this time in, in French history, you had the French academics or those who were teaching uh, school children, their fathers had taught them quite a bit about French history, that, that to, to graduate from a French public school, you had to know why you hated the Germans. And the reason you hated the Germans was because Louis XIV, though he was a king, was this great guy who won all these victories for France and he went into the German heartland, which was really French territory, quote unquote, and he took it right out from under those savages. And just like him, we were gonna do, the, the French were gonna go in and they were going to do that. And they did, and when they got it after World War I, they realized the cost of the conflict. And so the academics, to, to right that wrong, decided, well, you know, our forefathers taught us you know, that, that we had to go back and we had to go get our land back. So we're just not going to teach history that way. We're going to say that essentially we're always the bad guy. We have 
cause all this bad stuff. So we're just going to change history. We're going to view it differently, put a different surreal perspective on it and change how we teach our children. So then that causes the next generation to grow up not knowing why they believe what they believe. So it starts to strike at the heart of why the nation exists at all. And of course, this is why they get run over by the Germans, because the Germans took the other path and they said, well, we're going to teach our history. We're going to actually change our perspective. See, the radical left, the Nazis rose in Germany, and they perverted their own history to say, basically, the reason that we were so strong with Bismarck is we were strong white Germans who went in there and we beat up the French who because they have a bunch of colonies in Africa or basically a bunch of black people and we beat them all. And this is horrible ideology. I'm not saying this is from my perspective. Uh, this is what the Nazis would teach and that, that, you know, these people, these inferior races had infected the French nation and that's why the only reason they could have beaten us was because the, the Jews took over the German nation and that warranted them being, the, the Germans attempting to murder them all. The reaction in France to World War, or World War I and reaction to World War I in Germany on paper seemed polar opposite, that the French outwardly blamed the Germans but the culture blamed themselves and the Germans outwardly took the blame but the culture truly blamed the French and the Nazis were able to pervert that into blaming all of the other skin colors and religious beliefs and whatever. Um, the whole reason that this is important to us today is because so much of this parallels our own American experience currently. We had a what turned out to be an unpopular war in the Middle East that we're still entangled in regional conflicts in that area. We had an economic downturn in 2008, which was one of the worst in history. So we have the economic loss. We have the military, though it was a victory. We have the idea that, that this war was unjust, that we shouldn't have been in the Middle East in the first place. And you can see that paralleled in the news coverage. You can see that paralleled in the documentaries that are created, the art, if you could call it that, of, of modern cinema that tries to portray what the, the, the culture is feeling. They are trying to capitalize on the fact that we have this idea that our intervention in the Middle East was this horrible thing that destabilized the region that was already destabilized before we got there. Hence, we went there in the first place. Well, this isn't the first time it's happened in U.S. history. I'm sure everybody remembers Vietnam and notoriously that war uh, took a very bad turn. Even though, again, like the Middle East, we came that close to victory. We came so close to defeating the North Vietnamese. We came very, very close to liberating that region of the country. Yet, in art and in media, that's portrayed as an unproductive war because the amount of death compared to the political reasoning and the justification for war didn't match. So much like the French when during World War I, their justification was, well, we don't like the Germans and 
an Austrian archduke was killed in the Balkans. And so, you know, a million and a half Frenchmen have to go die. That to the French people didn't sell the war eventually. And that's why the French art kind of cannibalized itself and the nation itself. With the U.S. intervention in Vietnam, the favorite song of the day as, as the war dragged on was, you know, hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? Because the war became so unpopular that we thought we were over there dying for nothing. And if you don't believe me, look at the characteristics. We had an economic downturn in the, in the early 70s. We had an unpopular war with Vietnam. And then we had the rise of the radical left, the hippie movement of the late 60s is nothing other than people who frankly are too stupid to know they're communists rising up against the American government, whether it's protests on campus or the development of communes, where the idea was that the U.S. wasn't any better than anybody else, that this war was started by evil capitalists who, you know, just wanted to have people die or, or whatever the arguments were, that this could be solved by implementing a radically left-wing ideology. So it's happened in U.S. history before. It's happened in French history multiple times. It's happening to us now. And the point of this segment and podcast, as next episode we'll be moving into World War II and the academic consequences of that, is to be able to examine our current situation and understand that we are feeling the effects of a lost generation. And this is a precarious moment in U.S. history that if we're going to fix this, we're going to need to go back to what Voltaire said and tend to our garden. We're going to need to rediscover American history. We're going to need to rediscover our founders. We're going to need to understand what makes America unique if we're going to ensure that the tide will be reversed, that we will recover from an unpopular war, an economic downturn, and the rise of the radical left. And all of this is part of the crime of the century.